Welcome back to Behind the Wings, a podcast produced by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in beautiful Denver, Colorado. And we've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, up-close looks at iconic aircraft, and on today's show, the Tuskegee Airmen. Yes, it's time to go behind the wings. We've made it to episode 28 and we are so glad to have you along for the ride. Make sure you subscribe and if you like the show, leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to get our show out there and we really do appreciate it. Now, today we are excited to bring you a historical and inspiring episode. I'm your host, Rick Crandall, and while our usual co-host, John Barry, won't be joining us today, we have an awesome episode and a special guest host, Wings Over the Rockies curator, Chuck Stout. Yay, Chuck. So stick with us because this one is going to be cool. All right, Chuck, what do we have for folks today? Today, we're exploring the topic of the Tuskegee Airmen. The Tuskegee Airmen were a pioneering group of black military pilots who played a pivotal role in American history during World War II. The Tuskegee Airmen name also applies to support personnel, including the navigators, bombardiers, mechanics, instructors, crew chiefs, nurses, cooks, you name it. They formed the 332nd Fighter Group and the 477th Bombardment Group of the United States Army Air Forces. Despite facing racial discrimination and a lot of skepticism about their abilities, they not only proved themselves as exemplary professionals, they also shattered racial barriers in the segregated U.S. military. Their accomplishments contributed to the eventual desegregation of the armed forces in 1947, and they paved the way for advancements in civil rights in the mainstream United States. Our guest today is Bill Shepard. Bill is the former Vice President of Education for the Commemorative Air Force and former CAF Red Tail Squadron Leader. Bill's passion for aviation started with a love of flying at a young age. And on today's show, he explores with us the path that led him to proudly fly the P-51C Mustang for the Commemorative Air Force Red Tail Squadron. We'll also hear from Colonel James Harvey, who was a Tuskegee Airman, and his personal journey as one of the first black aviators in the U.S. military. From Bill's personal journey with aviation to the history of the Tuskegee Airmen, there's a whole lot to explore in this one. Let's get started, okay? Bill Shepard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us. All right, here's how we like to do it around here to start things off. How about introducing yourself? Hi, I'm Bill Shepard from the Commemorative Air Force Red Tail Rise Above Squadron. It's a joy to have you here, and I love to always hear about how people got interested in flying. How did you get into flying, Bill? You know, I, flying was part of my life as a young person. Uh, you know, my father's in a military squadron for the Marine Corps, so I was around air bases all the time. So I guess vicariously, I got my love for aviation. But really, I got my license when I was uh, uh, 15, 16 years old, and I started the process. I had been around airports and been around air airplanes for quite a while as younger. But my buddy Jimmy Smith and I were at James Bowie High School in Arlington, Texas, watching planes fly over landing. And we thought we'd go out there and just take a quick peek at the aircraft. And we ended up, at the end of the day, being part of a Cessna pilot training program. And I was able to go through the training program and in three, four months, be able to get my license. But I got my license before my 17th birthday, so I had to wait until my birthday came around before I actually got the ticket in the mail. 
You know, a lot of people get a pilot's license, right? But very few of them end up in a P-51 Mustang. How did you get into flying warbirds? I went through the normal genre that people go through when they fly aircraft for the private sector, flying different private GA aircraft, and uh, I loved doing that. And I got into flying commercially, and I had a chance to go to United Airlines at the time, and I was thinking about uh, my career in aviation as far as uh, airline aviation, but I had to move to Canada and to take a job in Canada, so it kind of thwarted those efforts. But right after that, 9-11 happened, so I would have been furloughed anyway. So I was lucky to go to Woodstock, Ontario, with home of the Canadian Harvard Aircraft Association, they're a Harvard or a T-6, able to join then and because of my background of flying to that point in time allowed me to be able to transition into flying military air or warbird aircraft in the airshow circuit so at that point in time after 2001 i found a love for airshow flying and warbird flying particularly and was able to accumulate a lot of hours in the t6 or or harvard rather and uh, that was a training plane for the mustang and when the red tail program was starting and looking for pilots that uh, met the bill i was ready to go Wow. You know, I can't even imagine how fun it would be to fly warbirds in air shows. Thank you for telling us about your personal journey. But for this next question, let's turn our attention to the commemorative Air Force. Can you tell us about the mission of the Rise Above part of the CAF? You know, the Rise Above part of the CAF, the Red Tail Squadron, took on education outreach to bring young men and young women into aviation as far as make them aware of uh, situations, how to rise above situations they find themselves in. We looked at the story of the Tuskegee Airmen, and we wanted to capture that and be able to tell the story of the Airmen and how they rose over the situation they found themselves in and be able to aim high, believe in themselves, use their brain, never quit and expect to win. Things we call the six principles of the Airmen and the new WASP program as well. Women and, and men that exuded those principles as far as uh, aiming high to achieve their goals. And we wanted young men and women to exude those principles as well. That is perfect. I really do believe in those six principles. I also believe that a lot of the things that we learned in flight training have a lot of application in the real world. So you and I are already tuned into Warbirds. What is it that uh, you do to get people interested in history? You know, the exciting thing about Warbirds is a lot of people are, are focused on the aircraft and American air power is a really interesting time in history where technology met innovation. A lot of people, when they get involved in warbirds, they look back to the golden years as far as when the greatest generation had come about in the 1930s and 1940s, where people were innovative and things. With warbird aviation, people come for the plane, but they often stay for the people. And it's the people behind the scenes, the people that made the warbirds fly and gave them personality. Warbirds are in inanimate objects, but the strength and the fortitude behind the, operating the warbirds is really where the true story is with this community. The commemorative Air Force is taking those stories of not only the Tuskegee Airmen, but the WASP, but many people who flew the warbirds and making it an experiential opportunity. We have a saying with the commemorative Air Force called drop the rope. We want to give people the opportunity to get behind the rope, behind the scenes, and get to feel the firsthand opportunity to be in a warbird, experience a warbird, but also experience the people. One of the other attitudes or one of the acronyms we talk about at the Commemorative Air Force is everybody flies. So if you have an opportunity to fly as far as hangar fly with somebody, hear the stories of the greatest generation, how they were able to rise above their circumstances that they found themselves in, or actually fly in a warbird is one of the secret sauces of the CAF and being able to actually fly in these warbirds and experience what the experience in 1943. When I fly the P-51 across the country, going from air show to air show, and you get up at altitude and you look across the landscape, it doesn't really much look different than 1943 and 1944. So the same plane that I'm actually flying today, some 18-year-old, 20-year-old uh, person, flew that same plane over that same airspace over a great country. 
when I get to go to air shows and stuff, people have stories that they can regale about how their uncle, their brother, their, their father, or in the case of the WASP, their, their mother, their aunt, or grandmother flew these aircraft uh, and was able to uh, save us from the Axis might and get us the freedoms we have today. So that's the, the overall encompassing of the Warbird community. It's not just the planes, but it's the people, it's the stories behind the, the scenes, and it's the people doing the best they possibly can to be successful to went once again to help us get to the freedoms we share today. Before we get into their legacy, Chuck, can you give us some background on the Tuskegee experiment? Sure, I'd be happy to, Rick. The Tuskegee Airmen were an experiment by the U.S. Army Air Corps to determine whether black pilots could handle military flying. The United States Congress decided that we should try and see if it was true that black people could not fly. From the beginning, the experiment was set up so that the Tuskegee experiment would fail. In 1925, there had been a study published that stated that black people were incapable of being combat pilots. They couldn't fly airplanes, they didn't have the strength of character to be combat pilots under stress and pressure. And the Tuskegee experiment was basically to find out if that was true. They succeeded beyond everybody's expectations. But the Tuskegee Airmen fought a second battle, one against racial discrimination. Thank you for that, Chuck. You know, it's amazing to think about all that the Tuskegee Airmen achieved with so much stacked against them. Now, this part is a real treat. We'll get to hear firsthand from a Tuskegee Airman, Colonel James Harvey, as he shares with us his personal journey of becoming one of the first black U.S. pilots. So tell me how the first black Americans became pilots in the U.S. military. Well, that wasn't an easy job. Uh, everything was stacked against us. We didn't have the ability to fly aircraft or operate heavy equipment. We're inferior to the white man. We were nothing. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened when you first tried to enlist in the Army Air Corps? I arrived in uh, Washington, D.C. and told to ride in the car where Negroes ride. Uh, well, welcome to the South. So this is new for me now, so I'll have to adjust. And I adjusted, not because I wanted to, because I had to. If I didn't, well, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So how did you manage to get into the flight training program? When I finished my 30 days of basic training, my mission was to go into the jungles in the Pacific, doze out an area and build an airfield. I said, this isn't for me. So I applied for cadet training. There were 10 of us that took the exam, nine whites and myself. When the dust cleared, two of us had passed. And from there, I was sent to Keesler Field in Biloxi, Mississippi for 30 days of basic training. When I finished my basic training, my 30 days, off to Tuskegee I went and the rest is history. Harvey has such an incredible life story. It's always amazing to hear about his personal experience. I had the opportunity a few times when I was on the radio in Denver and what a pleasure it was to be with him and sit with him. All right, let's get back to Bill for this next question. Let's talk a little more about the double standard the Red Tails endured during this time. The Tuskegee Airmen were such incredible pilots, we know that. So incredible that during World War II, bomber crews started requesting the airmen to be their escorts. And then after the war, they came back to segregated America and had to use separate facilities, which 
must have been very difficult for them. Can you tell us more about that transition from war hero to second-class citizen? I think that was a hard transition for them because, you know, you went overseas with the biases they had when they first started their training program and they had to fight for the right to be in the opportunity to go to fight for their country. They succeeded basically in that and deployed in North Africa first and ran into Italy. And they had to fight for the right to protect the bombers, to protect people who didn't want them there. But I think a necessity of survival uh, overcame that in the theater that people realized, hey, if I want to get home to my, my family, I'm going to have to get help from people that I wouldn't, don't, wouldn't normally ask for help back home. And I think once that barrier happened, people thought that things were going to change. But when they came back home, it was a real slap in the face because it got back to where it was beginning and they had to kind of start from scratch or once again, dust themselves off, falling off that old horse, as they say, and get back on and start riding forward again. So that was a lot of the trials and tribulations, a lot of peaks and valleys and so forth in their career and their personal victories and also victories that they had in theater as well. Former General McGee was telling me one of the stories when the 99th Squadron first deployed in North Africa. When they made the 332nd Air Group, typically an air group has three squadrons, the 301st, the 101st, the 301st, the 302nd. But when the 99th deployed to Ramatilly or left North Africa, they had nowhere to put them. So they had to put them with the 332nd Air Group. Well, that means they had an extra squadron on paper that people didn't realize. And this is the arrogance at the time that they had stuck them in there. Well, like guys and gals would always in competition, the white fighter base was on the other side of Ramachilly Field. And they had this spirit of competition, how many aircraft they could get up in the day and assorted, how many serviceable aircraft. Well, the Tuskegee Airmen won that kind of that impromptu bet every time because the white pilots were too arrogant to realize they had a whole extra fighter wing in their air group that they didn't realize they actually had. So they won the bet every day. So those are the kind of anecdotal stories you get to share with the airmen that once again, the times of, of the way people behavior kind of brought that uh, to forefront and uh, kind of funny anecdotal stories of, of uh, the true life of the airmen. But in theater, the airmen were very cordial with one another, white, black, and different, because they realized they were all there for, to not go down to set the world on fire, as, as General McGee would say, but to collectively work together and complete a job. What is the legacy of the Red Tails? The Tuskegee Airmen helped break through some of those barriers, but not just broke through the barriers, shattered the barriers, and took down the walls by not only being prepared to do the job, but exceeding all expectations and going beyond what anybody expected in themselves, but also the greater community. So that was the story behind the story. So they had to fight those internal victories as far as the community and society, and they had to fight the victories as far as create a victory when they came home from overseas. So there's a lot of different uh, things to unpack when you talk about the Tuskegee Airmen. One of the things we talk about the airmen as well, we often talk about the airmen themselves as being pilots. And over a thousand pilots went to the program, 330 some uh, went to actually deployed and fought. But one of the things we don't talk about is a, a 14 to 1 ratio, even today, but mainly in the military. So for every one pilot simply means there's 14 support crew. So the maintainers, the gunners, the people that worked in the airfield, the people that took care of the hospital. So that means over 14,000 people went through the Tuskegee experience and they had to carry the burden of society on their shoulders to once again, fight the Axis might and the double victory at abroad and at home. So that's really the kind of the exciting story about the Tuskegee Airmen. But when they got home, we don't talk about becoming doctors and lawyers and politicians and contributing members of society. So their character of being above the rest went way beyond World War II years and went as far as they continued their whole life and they affected their families and things as well. So the Tuskegee Airmen is, is boundless. Wow, what incredible 
people to build a legacy that still stands strong today. All right, let's hear one more time from Colonel Harvey as he looks back on his time as a Tuskegee Airman. What does it mean to you to be a Tuskegee Airman? It was supposed to have failed. Well, we didn't let it fail. We just keep proving we're good. We just keep proving it over and over again, we're good. And we're finally getting acceptance, finally. Years late, but we're finally getting it. Well, you've opened the door for thousands of, of people of color, not just in aviation, but in all walks of life. The forerunners of integration. <laughs> but uh, we didn't look at it that way. We just looked at doing our job, doing it to the best of our ability. So what would be your message to the next generation, people growing up now? Aim to be the best. <laughs> Shut the TV off. Go to school, learn, pay attention, and aim for perfection. If you aim for perfection, you will end up being the best. They truly were the best of the best. And thanks to Colonel James Harvey for sharing his personal perspective. All right, now we're going to get back to Bill. We can't talk about the Tuskegee Airmen without also mentioning the Women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASP. Can you tell us about their history? These great women were doing non-traditional roles and breaking barriers as far as flying aircraft to help support the war effort. So we thought we'd tell that story, once again, for young ladies to get involved in science, engineering, technology, and math, to do something that isn't normally common for them to do, even in today's society. So we thought the WASP were a great, a great role model to, once, an once again, share those experiences. In the Tuskegee Airmen, once again, we had lightning in a bottle, we had a way to tell a story. And what's, what we do is we tell stories in the Commemorative Air Force to celebrate the greatest generation. So how can we tell the story of the WASP? And we thought we'd tell it in the same way we tell the Tuskegee story, by using their traveling exhibit from the Commemorative Air Force called Rise Above. The travels over to 40 different locations every year, year after year, telling the story about the Tuskegee Airmen. Why not tell the story about the WASP in the same venue? And we once again have, have uh, hit it out of the park by telling that story, by bringing their story to life and what, what they had to go through and the training they had to uh, exude and the, the hardships they had to, to fight for their country to make it successful in the freedoms we have today. So let's say that there's a, a kid watching this right now who is really interested, really engaged, and really wants to go on and maybe get into a STEM field. Are there any resources that they might get through the Rise Above organization? The Commemorative Air Force is a collection of 183 aircraft that are stationed across this country in over 25 states, 78 units, 12,000 volunteers strong. They're joining the fight to talk about education and aviation, to talk about education in STEM programs like science, engineering, technology, math. So if I was a young person, first of all, there's an opportunity to find somebody who looks like them and looks like me. Uh, with, through the Commemorative Air Force and other organizations. And within that, there are layers with the resources available. First of all, learn about the people that came before you, your forefathers or foremothers that came before you and the trials that they had to go through and the hurdles they had to go. Uh, and first of all, understand what the effort is required to move forward and to rise above the situation you find themselves in. If you're looking for the Commemorative Air Force Rise Above Squadron, well, I would go to CAFRiseAbove.org. And there you can find layers and layers of information to help guide your your journey into aviation or any other field that involves science or engineering or technology and things and is yours to discover. I know that you get a, a lot of chances to talk to people in person, but for our audience, what advice would you give to the next generation, the people just coming up? The really simple thing for most young people or people in general that I wish to exude from the program 
is to dream big, work hard, and never give up. If they can just dream big, work hard, never give up, uh, they will achieve most or all their goals and they'll be, be successful compared to where they started off with. And if they could just do that, that would be something that would carry us all forward. Service to your community, service to your country, service to yourself. Uh, those are things that the Tuskegee Airmen and the WASP really put their arms around and grasp and made them successful themselves. Bill, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for joining our show. It's our pleasure to be here. We're honored to be here, and thank you very much for having us. Thank you, Bill Shepard and Colonel James Harvey, for shedding some much-needed light on this topic. Wow. There were so many interesting aspects that I hadn't considered. I always, though, love hearing the history and the stories of the Tuskegee Airmen, and Colonel Harvey does such a great job remembering and relating those stories. What were your takeaways, Chuck? It was a great pleasure to have a chance to talk with Bill Shepard, and I was also just delighted to be able to talk to a living Tuskegee Airman. One of the things that I didn't realize, and I'm sure a lot of other people don't realize, is that the Tuskegee Airmen didn't end at the end of World War II. The Women's Air Force Service pilots did, they were done. But the Tuskegee Airmen were still part of the Army Air Corps and then the United States Air Force. A lot of these guys had long careers, ended up becoming generals. It's really impressive that these people just continued to perform. Well, that'll do it, folks. We hope you enjoyed episode 28 of the Behind the Wings podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. Now, don't forget, we have new episodes coming out every other Monday. Make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to leave a review, okay? It's the best way to get our show out there, and we greatly appreciate hearing from you. Well, that'll do it, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Wings.